The Bundesliga has fast become the league of choice for young American players either to start their professional careers like Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, and Josh Sargent, or after a few years like Tyler Adams. The fertile and relatively cheaper American soccer market is more than happy to provide a buffet of Americans to choose from. MLS and other professional leagues, they're going to have to step up and compete to keep that talent home. Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the continued American migration to the Bundesliga. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment, where Mossy's going to tell us a little bit about the transfer market comings and goings. We'll be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment with some MLS Superdraft stuff and uh, re-signing of Joseph Martinez there in Atlanta, and so much more. But first, as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. How are you, Mossy? I am good. Welcome back. Thank you. Is there Thank any you. American city you didn't spend time in over the last week? I've been on tour. I apologize uh, if you are listening to this. Uh, it's obvious that it, this is a delayed State of the Union podcast. It could not be helped. I took off uh, the last week. Uh, I do appearances, and I continued to, to do some this week. So my travels took me to Chicago, where the coaching convention was going on. Did a bunch of appearances there. It was great. It was tracksuits wall to wall. Never have I seen so many tracksuits in one place. Uh, and soccer people in one place, but it's always fun because you just kind of walk and you just run into everybody that you ever wanted to and many that you didn't want to uh, run into. Uh, then I went from there, I went to Detroit, to, uh, my hometown, for the uh, annual Detroit Auto Show, and I was part of the presentation. Uh, U.S. Soccer actually just did a huge deal with VW, and so I was uh, brought on stage in a car and lights and dry ice and all that kind of stuff when we kicked off that partnership there. And then from there, I went down to see my friends in Austin, uh, and they kicked off and announced their new team, Austin FC. And we had a really good time down there. I uh, hosted the uh, the presentation down there with Don Garber, the commissioner, uh, Anthony Precourt, the owner of uh, Austin FC, uh, and Steve Adler, the uh, mayor down there. So I've been all over the place. It's uh, it's fun. I'm a little beat. I don't mind telling you, but you know what? I'm going to rise to the occasion because you deserve it. Apologies again for it being late, but uh, it could not be helped. What about you? What did you uh, do this last week? Anything exciting? Not much because the weather in L.A. has been dreadful. I heard. I heard. Yes. I mean, dreadful, it's relative to, to L.A. weather, fine. But a little raining a lot. Freezing my ass off in Chicago and Detroit, uh, they would say, hey, it's fine. With a little rain, no problem. Yeah, raining, which eliminates hiking, beach-type stuff. So it's been Driving. a lot of— uh, <laughs> Nobody <yes>. can drive. <laughs> Watched uh, True Detective. Very excited for season three. What is True Detective? Which one's uh, that? HBO show. First now, is episodes. that a continuation or every season is a, a start and an end to the story? Every season is a start and an end. Oh, okay, to the story. I like that. I don't like uh, the continuation. And this season looks very good. The really? first two episodes. Do they change aired. the cast every single year? Yes. Oh, really? I have not. Uh, I've not watched that. All right. Well, uh, anything else? That's it. That is it. That's all you well, did. Let's Boy. light this candle. Oh, that's all right. Let's light this candle. All right. As you know, each and every week we kick the pod off with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And this week, it goes a little something like this. Go west, young man. There's gold in them there hills. And when I say west, I really mean east. To Germany. It seems that the Bundesliga has fast become the league of choice for young American players either to start their professional careers like Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, and Josh Sargent, or after a few years like Tyler Adams. And yes, we here at Fox do televise the Bundesliga in the U.S. But that doesn't change the fact that the Bundesliga values and continues to seek and mine American talent. It's a league already predisposed to playing young players, and the fertile and relatively cheaper American soccer market is more than happy to provide a buffet of Americans to choose from. And there will be more. When the Bundesliga can offer stellar youth development situations, playing time regardless of age, fewer work visa restrictions, and often a higher payday, well, it's no wonder Americans are looking to Germany. The mentality of the American player is something Bundesliga teams appreciate and often point to. Say what you want about our youth soccer landscape, but American players in general are coachable, willing to do the dirty and unglamorous work, and hungry to make a name for themselves in the bright lights of Europe, a place many have grown up watching and dreaming about. And it's one thing to lose talent, though. It's another thing not getting anything in return. Missing out on those transfer fees, as often happens when young players are free agents, only twists a knife and adds insult to injury. MLS and other professional leagues know the Germans are coming, and at some point, they're going to have to step up and compete to keep that talent home, or at least take steps to assure they're not giving it away for free. But until that time, 
Germany will continue to look very attractive and even preferable. All right, Mossy, there's my State of the Union for this uh, uh, week. And by the way, as I was writing this, a article came over The Independent actually saying almost the exact same thing, but relating it to English players. Uh, so this mining of talent uh, and overseas talent, if you're the Germans, uh, is not something that's just specific to America. They are looking out there. And it was really interesting in this article. I'll, I'll even give him a plug. Miguel Delaney over at The uh, Independent. It was interesting because he anonymously quoted some, uh, some scouts that were in the stands that were looking at players in England that had been bought for a, a tremendous amount of money. And then they looked at these other players and they said, you know what, this team bought these two players, but we, as a Bundesliga team, we would never buy those two players. We want to buy the guy that can't even get on the field. So it's a, it's a phenomenon that's happening all over the place. From an American perspective, it's good. It offers an opportunity. And look, everybody would probably say if, if they could go one place because it's the most popular league in the world, you're talking about the EPL. But that doesn't happen a whole lot. And so the German, uh, the German path, as we said, that's going to be really interesting as it goes forward. And, and obviously, we, we televise Bundesliga, so it makes our job that much better to be able to talk oftentimes about American players. No, I agree with everything you said. The Bundesliga, uh, in general, has carved out this niche as a breeding ground for young stars. And Americans have certainly figured out that if you're 18, 19 years old and you want to go to one of the top leagues in Europe, that's the league where you're going to get the most playing time. So I see this trend continuing. I actually did a Mossy makes the case a while back talking about how I know the Premier League is a monolith in this country, but I'm sorry, if you're a U.S. men's national team fan, that's the league in Europe you need to be following because to me it's most relevant in terms of the U.S. national team. Yeah, and it's one thing, as I said in the State of the Union, when, you, when you're losing talent, if you're MLS or if you're, you're any league, to be quite honest with you. But it's another thing when you don't get those transfer fees. So as proud as we all are uh, uh, about Christian Pulisic, the reality is if you're MLS— uh, like it didn't, it didn't slip through your your hands because he was he went on that pathway. But you're not getting any of that. So if you're able to, and I think uh, Don Garber uh, has made a a real effort over the last three or four months to say very publicly that they want to be at times a selling league and they can't be afraid of having talent go over there. But in his case, obviously with a transfer fee attached, it's when they don't, it's when they go over there and don't have a transfer fee that you're not participating in that. It's great for the player, and and the other part was. When, when these players are looking at, at Germany, uh, we know the stories that come out about the developmental system. And ultimately, every player wants to play. No player wants to sit on the bench. I know you make a lot of money at times, and, and that's, all, that's all fine and well. But you want to play. And I'm going to do another State of the Union coming up here about the, the problem right now. It's, it's, I mean, I, I think it's a problem, but it might not be a problem if you're, if you're MLS, of the opportunities for younger players to play. And therefore, they're going to look elsewhere. And that's that could be a problem. I'm not sure it's a problem, but they are going to look elsewhere. And when they look at Germany, they see people with open arms saying, yeah, we're not, we're, we're not just going to develop you, which is something that they can do and do very, very well, but we're, we're going to play you. I mean, we see every single weekend when we're doing Bundesliga, we see 19, 20-year-olds starting regularly. It's not just a one-off thing. And to show you how far it's come, it's not that big a deal. I mean, they, they say, hey, this guy's, this guy's ready to play. They don't care where they are. And if you're a young American player and you're not you know, you're not involved with MLS and you're looking for that, that pathway to get to a professional team and to play, man, it must be very, very attractive. Do you see this changing in any way? Because one of the things, one of the things from EPL perspective is that with all the money over there, the influx of talent, and we see this actually in MLS, in, incoming talent, imported talent is much, much sexier and it's what to be, is to be expected. And when you do that, obviously it crowds out any kind of domestic talent. Do you see this changing at all in terms of their philosophy when it comes to the Bundesliga? Not at all. Uh, I think they've hit on something here that's a, that's a good little niche for them as being the league. Like I said, that that's a breeding ground for young stars. When I did my Mossy Makes the Case last week about England, I said this was going to be one of the big subplots in English football in 2019 that uh, Jaden Sancho has now laid down a path for others to follow and Bayern pursuing now Callum Hudson-Odoi and we'll see if he goes or not. But uh, certainly, I think more players are looking at that. Now, I don't know if you want to pivot here to uh, Christian Pulisic is going to the Premier yeah, League yeah. next season. <laughs> so, you know, we've been talking to Fox about which American is going to sort of fill that void as the marquee American in the Bundesliga. I think it's clearly Josh Sargent. 
because he's an attacking player. Weston McKinney's very good. I think Tyler Adams would do well, but there's something sexier about a striker that's going to be scoring goals. Do you buy that? Do you think people, Sargent is going to be People like goals. Uh, no, I don't necessarily think Sargent is going to blow up the way that Pulisic did. I mean, but it, it's all about scoring goals. Let me ask you this. If you were a father of a young player and that young player it could be a young Englishman uh, could be a young American whatever uh, and let's say let's let's go for the go for the moon here let's say that Manchester City wanted to buy it buy your player uh, and you wanted to go to Manchester City or pick your Schalke or some you know some a team in the Bundesliga I think the chances of you playing at Manchester City are, are slim and none but you're also working under Pep so what would you do what would you advise if I'm a young teenage type player? Well, if you're the father of that young teenager. Yeah, no, definitely not Manchester City. I mean, I, I talked about this a few weeks ago in the context of Phil Foden. You know, you had right. Sancho leave Manchester City. You just had Brahim Diaz go to Real Madrid. I'm going to talk about him again in the Mossy Makes the Case today. And Phil Foden is buried there, and I think he's going to end up leaving too. Uh, like you said, with England, these teams, the, the culture there is to buy established foreign stars. It's not to give young teenagers a chance. So uh, to me, that's a dead end if you're like a 17, 18-year-old to go to Man City. I'm sorry. I think you're better off going to Germany. Maybe there you can establish yourself as a world-class star. And then eventually, if you want to play in the Premier League, work your way back there as that sexy big signing. To me, that's the path. Yeah, but don't you think that Jaden Sancho, uh, an undeniable talent, okay, but because of the path that he took, in a strange way, it elevated him as a player in that there could be players, English players, that are in the EPL systems of whatever team that are as good, maybe even in some, some better. But because he went over there, now his profile is increased. And so I, when I think of Jaden Sancho, I think of one of the great young talents, uh, talents out there. Do you, think, do you think he's looked at in a more positive light now by the English? I'm talking about the English because I, I know they're, they look at the EPL and that's pretty much all they look at. And I know that's a generalization, so you can scream and yell at me if you want. Okay. But for the most part, out of sight, out of mind, especially when you're going to a, a less popular league in another, in another country. Yeah, there's a little bit of that issue with the English that uh, they don't put as much weight in stuff that happens in other leagues as I think they should. I think Sancho actually should be have greater notoriety among the English right now than he does. But I think he's getting there. And, and yeah, to me, it, in the long run, it, it's the better path than to be sitting on the bench of a big Premier League team and waiting for your chance, which never comes, and just, quote-unquote, learning from the guys that are playing. So I think in the long run, Sancho, I think, has, like I said, has blazed a path that others are going to want to follow. Well, as I mentioned, it uh, it certainly makes our job that much better when there are Americans in the league. And, and that's not a reason in and of itself to just tune into a league or anything like that. But if you, if it's a league that you don't follow particularly closely, this is a this is a way in. And certainly... Certainly, over at Fox, we make sure we tell everybody what do we got. What let do we got say, coming? Let up? me say, I mean, I'm not even close to done with this topic. So. Oh my goodness! Oh, okay, you got something else. Sorry. All right, uh, Mossy's got some stuff to get off yeah, his chest. A couple, right. of, couple of rants involving Americans. Oh uh, God! All right. Well, you've, uh, you, you know, you've killed the English. Uh, now go after listen, the Americans. Listen. Okay. I, I just, I know we talked about Pulisic last week, but but it, it's still a topic that's out there. And I heard Craig Burley talk about this a few days ago, and I, I actually agree with him. The lack of playing time the first half of the season was not because of his contract situation or this impending departure. Dortmund have had plenty of experience with this the last few years of players who they knew was going to leave and were going to leave in the mm -hmm. next window or in some cases even already had a deal to leave in the next window. And if the guy was helping them win games, they played him until the very end. They haven't won a Bundesliga title since really? 2012. Really? You think so? Yeah, they haven't won a Bundesliga title since 2012. They have a legitimate chance to win one this season. And I think if Lucien Favre felt like Pulisic gave him the best chance to win in a game, he would play him. And I think that's going to be true the second half half of this season, even though he's going to Chelsea. I, I know some people are concerned they're going to bury him now because of this. I don't think so. We'll see how the second half of the season well, what plays, if he plays out. What if he plays a bunch in the second half of the season? You're just going to say it's because Favre wanted to play him there. Exactly. But I'm going to say no, it's because the deal is done and they don't care if he breaks his leg. No, I think they're trying. he's trying to win games and for whatever reason... Pulisic fell a little bit down the pecking order the first half of the season. New manager comes in. He has his system. He has his players he prefers. But I think Pulisic, if he does well, trains well, gets in a game, does you something. You don't think a word came from the top that, look, we have a possible deal with Chelsea. An astronomical figure. I mean, let's be honest when, when, when it comes right down to it. We need to mothball him or whatever. And, and it's not even that he can't play at all because we know that he played, especially when it came to the, uh, the international competition uh, or the European competition that they were doing. You, you don't think that that had anything to do with it? I don't. I don't, honestly. Now, uh, second rant. This one I know I'm preaching to the choir on. Okay. 
the Nagelsmann situation will never stop being weird to me. <laughs> Leipzig. Explain it one more time okay, for, our, for our listeners. Julian Nagelsmann is the Hoffenheim coach. He's already agreed a deal to take over Leipzig next season. So he's coaching Hoffenheim this season, already knowing that he's going to be the Leipzig right. manager next season. Leipzig this January, they brought in a young player in Tyler Adams, signed him to a long-term deal. They brought in another good young midfielder, Amadou Haidata from Salzburg, signed him to a long-term deal. The question is, was Nagelsmann consulted in these moves? And if so, here's a guy who's coaching Hoffenheim who are competing with Leipzig for a yeah. top four spot, and he has to take time out from that to evaluate Leipzig moves. And strange. he would only sign off on a player if he thinks it's a good player that's going to help Leipzig win games. But for the next four months, Leipzig winning games is bad for the team he's coaching now. So I know you agree with me. It's this situation very is completely well, when, it, when it first came up, I, I, I didn't understand it. I said, well, why, why, don't just, why would you just... Why, why don't just get it done? One thing that I might have been wrong about was a couple of months ago, I expressed some real concern about Alfonso Davies. It wasn't a knock on him as a player. I just thought it was going to be a bad environment at Bayern because they were having a tumultuous season, mm-hmm. Kovac under pressure. You have all these veterans like Robin and Ribéry and Muller who expect to play and exert a lot of influence in the dressing room. So I thought it was going to be tough for an 18-year-old to show up and play. But boy... The hype machine is on for him. He looked very good over the winter, apparently, in all their training sessions. He played the other day in the Telecom Cup against Gladbach. Looked very good. Had one incredible piece of skill that went viral. And Oh, did you see that back heel flick? Oh, was my God. Hard. And, uh, I mean, all the talk is he's going to absolutely have a role to play uh, the second half of the season that they want to start their kind of rebuilding yeah, now. he would have been so, loaned out. I mean, it Absolutely. Been, so that's, that's, I might have been wrong about that. And so that's, that's another. Great. I know he's not American, but MLS guy. Hey, he's still one of us. He's a guy we still one of us. And we, you know, it's 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 a wonderful story uh, for him, for Vancouver, and and obviously for uh, for Major League Soccer. I mean, this is a guy, and from a money perspective, if he starts playing, that transfer fee just gets kicked up higher, and, right, right, right. Uh, higher and higher and higher. All right, what else? So, Anything else? All right, so oh my me, God, boy, you really you no, really so got so all sorts plug, of stuff. This let, is good. Unless you have something, let's plug. No, 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 uh, no. Plug away. Plug okay, away. So the Bundesliga second half of the season gets underway this upcoming weekend. We could not be more excited. We have an incredible slate of games. Yep. Friday, Hoffenheim host Bayern. Ooh. And we will have Steve Terundolo in studio That's for that right. One. That's right. I yeah. can't wait. That's going to be fun. Then listen to this. Saturday, doubleheader on FS1. Leverkusen, we have a new manager in Peter Bosch, hosts Gladbach. And then Leipzig hosts Dortmund. Tyler Adams could make his debut against Christian Pulisic. There is an hour bridge show in between those two games in which we will be joined via Skype by Greg Berhalter. No US way. Men's national team coach. Wow. That's going to be fun. And, and then Nuremberg, Hertha on Sunday. But all those games I said on FS1, just a massive weekend we, we're back with a bang wow wow i love it i love it uh you know I, I as i've talked about before my whole immersion into the bundesliga has been from my perspective fun and interesting to to a league that i hadn't followed a whole lot and now to see especially you know some of these teams and, and given the history and when you're working with guys like ian joy and he's got a, such an incredible history and knowledge and keith costigan and all these different guys and now we get steve trundle coming in Oh, the mayor. I mean, it's going to be great. I can't <laughs> wait. All right. Well, I'll look forward to that. I'm going to I'm going to grill him. We're going to get him to do some work so I don't have to uh, yell and scream. He'll be in our uh, uh, our beer cellar there with our uh, with our Bundesliga coverage. All right. Anyway, that is uh, my State of the Union for this week. Moving on. Hey, guys, it's Alexi. More of the State of the Union podcast is on the way. But first, I wanted to tell you about a service every soccer fan needs to check out. Fox Soccer Match Pass. With Fox Soccer Match Pass, you can stream live and on-demand matches from the Bundesliga, international friendlies, and more. All on your favorite devices. And the best part? It's all ad-free, and you can cancel at any time. So check out FoxSoccerMatchPass.com and get started with a seven-day free trial today. Now, back to the show. Mossy makes the case. Okay, it's time for Mossy Makes the Case. David, what do you have for us today? My case is that transfer markets have become an interesting case study of player power. Mm. We're about halfway through the January transfer window. Truthfully, there hasn't been as much activity as I expected, but we still have two weeks left. And uh, most clubs approach their transfer business the same way I approached my schoolwork, which is to say they wait until the last minute. Uh, the move that could spice things up, Gonzalo Higuain is reportedly itching to leave AC Milan and join Chelsea, where he would be reunited with his former manager, Maurizio Sarri. That would trigger Alvaro Morata presumably going back to Spain. Sevilla, Atletico Madrid, and Barcelona are all interested, while Milan would have to find a striker. They've been linked with Piatek from Genoa, who's been the sensation in Serie A this season. 
Gennaro Gattuso a few days ago in speaking about the Iguain situation, he's since walked us back a little bit, but he said, look, we don't want to lose him. If it was up to me, I'd lock him in my house for the next two weeks. But if he wants to go, he's going to go. And you hear this a lot from managers that if a player wants to leave, there's no stopping him. Right. Some even put like a defiant tone on it, like Pep Guardiola did recently when speaking about Brahim Diaz choosing to leave City for Real Madrid. He said, I don't want anybody here who doesn't want to be here. Okay. The bottom line is uh, it seems to be that even if a player is under contract and a club is happy with him, if he receives interest from elsewhere and decides he wants to go, ultimately he gets his way. At most, he might be able to do what Liverpool did with Coutinho and make him wait longer than he wanted, but eventually he's going to get where he wants to go. And lately I've been sort of grappling with this question. Is that right? Should players be able to dictate at all times where they want to play? Or should clubs handle these situations differently? Maybe put their foot down and say, look, you're under contract, you're staying. But, you know, is that right to force a player to stay where he doesn't want to be? And, you know, you you experience both sides of this as a player and then as a general manager. So what say you about that? So first off, as a player, we know that uh, all players have a finite amount of time for their career. And uh, when it comes to actually making money, you need to make as much as you possibly can. And sometimes it doesn't end when you think it's going to end. It might happen much more abruptly. So I, I certainly don't begrudge players trying to find ways to maximize their value through what could be a very short period of time. You know, having said that, it's not as if these these teams are just are just losing them and, and giving them away for nothing. There's usually a transfer fee of something like that, so they're going to get something in return. Yes, it does mess up the the on field part of the, the equation. And this this is uh, Iguain, for example. You know, his piece is an important piece, and so they will be weaker for losing him, even regardless of what transfer fee they may or may not uh, bring in. What always used to uh, interest me is that this notion that when a player plays well that you should tear up the contract that you that you did with him or her and sign a bigger and better and larger one right Uh, but when a player doesn't play well nobody ever says and certainly not the agents say well let's tear it up because he's (laughs) not he's completely underperforming this deal uh this deal that we did that to me that that rubs me the wrong way because that to me is not honoring the spirit of the agreement because when that deal was signed the club took a chance on you and paid you what they thought you were worth and you signed that deal all right and i believe you have to live up to it now sometimes it just makes sense to that for them to extend it and do a whole new deal do you think do you see iguain as a well first off as a premier league player secondly as a premier league player for chelsea do you think that that works yeah, he would certainly be an upgrade over Morata, but yeah, they might be catching him a little yeah, bit on the I mean, downside there. It's it's been a very awkward half season with Milan. He, he seems very unhappy there, and yeah, I don't know his. I mean, state if he's, of mind if right he's Luis Suarez esque in his in, in his arrival and impact, but yeah, like you said, this is how many teams is that now for him? He's over the last four or five years. Yeah, Napoli, Juventus, AC Milan. It would be it'd be four and a wow. very and obviously Real Madrid before wow. that and River Plate. Alex, you want that deal over there for Chelsea? Thumbs up, thumbs up. You just want them. Just you just want to stockpile people that can possibly score goals. Keep just throwing them out there until something it's, happens. It's funny too on this topic of players forcing moves. Uh, Liverpool. This was publicized a few weeks ago as part of the Coutinho deal. They inserted some sort of clause where over the next couple of years, if Barcelona want to buy any Liverpool players, they have to pay an extra hundred million euros on top of whatever transfer figure was agreed. And Liverpool fans are all like thinking this is the smartest thing ever because it's basically eliminate any chance of Barcelona stealing any any more of their players. But I thought about it. Does it change the underlying dynamic? Because if you enforce that clause, you basically kill a deal because Barcelona right. aren't going to willingly pay 100 million euros sure. more than a player's worth. But a, a club always has the right, in theory, to turn down an offer. Yeah. The, the, situa- the test would be if... Let's say, hypothetically, Barcelona decide they want to sign a Salah or a Firmino, and the player decides he wants to go. He, he makes that clear very publicly. He starts to act up, fake injuries, refuse to play in yeah. games, the things that players do. Then Liverpool, and, and let's say Barcelona offer like a very good amount for him, then Liverpool would be confronted with the same dilemma they were with Coutinho, which is, do we waive that $100 million and take the money that they offered? Is it worth it to try to, to keep an unhappy player That's who's disruptive? An and, and, unhappy player, it, it, that never goes well. And you, you could talk about players being professional, and, but as soon as they've had their head turned, and certainly when they've had their head turned someplace that's going to offer them more money, 
Uh, and maybe even more important than the money is, especially when we're talking about these big clubs, is the dream to play. A lot of times it involves Real Madrid and Barcelona and that, and that kind of stuff. It's hard. I mean, it, 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 would, be, it would be hard because then you got your front office folks who are going to stand on principle. And, no, you're our player and there's no, you're not going and you've got to do your job and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, you're not getting the best of that player because he is – is constantly thinking about it and you're you're gonna have to figure out what you're gonna do and if, and if you do stand uh, on principle you better make sure that he's still going to give you a performance which is the whole reason why anybody's even interested in him in the first place it's funny Liverpool have been confronted with this twice recently uh, in the summer of 2013 Suarez tried to force a move to Arsenal Mm-hmm. And Liverpool said no. They convinced him to stay another season and then more or less like promised him, we'll sell you the following summer. And he buckled down, went out, had a phenomenal season. They almost won the Premier League. And then the next summer, they, they sold him to Barcelona. And it worked out even better for him going to Barcelona instead of Arsenal. And Liverpool got one more incredible season out of him. And similarly with Coutinho, uh, and, and actually in, in the Coutinho case, it's had some very negative consequences for him because I think had Liverpool acquiesced in the summer of seven, 2017, Barcelona would have just bought Coutinho and not Dembele. Instead, they felt the need to do something that summer, so they bought Dembele, but then still bought Coutinho in January. They tried to sell it as he's a replacement for Iniesta, but they've quickly abandoned that notion. And so now, essentially, you have Coutinho and Dembele fighting for one spot in this very awkward situation. So Liverpool fans, on top of the fact you've done very well without Coutinho, if you want to (laughs) take extra glee out of how that situation played out, you got a great half season out of him because, to his credit, Coutinho buckled down and played really well that half season. And by making him wait, you've actually like diminished his chances of succeeding with Barcelona. So you know, I know Liverpool fans are a spiteful bunch, so th- they can. We'll, we'll end on this. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll end on this. Do you think Coutinho at any point thinks, "Wow, uh, it'd be nice to be in Liverpool right now"? Yeah, you know, Brazilians just have such a thing with Barcelona. Yeah, I don't think he does for a second. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't. I think he just he just hopes that the situation in Barcelona sorts itself out. But I mean, I, I don't think no, I don't think he regrets yeah. it that much. All right, another Mossy makes the case. Moving on. Ask Alexi. All right, it's time for Ask Alexi, the uh, hashtag Ask Alexi segment. You send in your questions and comments, and we pick out three or four of them, and uh, we read them. So what do we got this week, Mossy? Okay, this is an interesting one. So this was a tweet you put out like three years ago that somebody recently uh, dug up and turned it around and posed a question to you. Uh, You had said... Would you want the U.S. men's national team to win a World Cup if it also means MLS folding? And at soccer reform was the one. Uh, oh, I know at soccer reform. Yeah. Uh, Ted, Ted, my friend Ted. I've known yes. him for many, many years. Uh, and so, so, yeah, and he, so he brought this back he brought up this and back then asked up. me in 2019 right. what, what I thought. And my, my, uh, my answer is no different than it was back then. Hell no. I recognize the power of a World Cup, uh, and I recognize the injection that it can give to a nation and to a culture and that's undeniable but i do think that it's it's not fleeting but it's it's limiting and 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 i would never want to support something that's going to take away opportunities and jobs from soccer players in the united states now there are plenty of people out there who are adamantly opposed to major league soccer for any number of reasons not the least of which is you know, the uh, promotion relegation thing, drink, or uh, just, you know, the people involved or, or just the fact that uh, their insecurities inhibit them from actually appreciating the uh, level individually and collectively of some of these teams because ultimately it's a American and North American league. So I, I it would, look, I want to see the U.S. win a World Cup. I can't wait till we win a World Cup. But if it meant MLS going away, and the other argument would be then, okay, yes, but something else better would take their place. And okay, that's fine if you, if you believe that. But MLS is 20-plus strong, and I know I wear my MLS credentials on my sleeve, and everybody knows I am, uh, I, it's, it's, it's La Cosa Nostra. It's our thing. It's near and dear to me. But this is something that has sustained soccer, and more importantly, has sustained soccer players and multiple generations. And to take that away... I think the vacancy that would arise from doing that would be even more detrimental, and it would offset the wonderful uh, news and accomplishment of winning a World Cup. So no, Ted, I would not want the U.S. to win the World Cup at the cost of Major League Soccer folding. 
This is uh, Ted Vesterveld. Yes. Yes. Ah, yes. Next question. At yes, that Brooke. Mm-hmm. What direction do you see MLS taking the Super Draft in an attempt to keep it relevant? Yeah, so there's a lot of talk about this. Uh, I attended the Super Draft in Chicago. So over the years, I've done so many Super Drafts, MLS Super Drafts, and they were they were the bane of my existence. I remember myself and and Taylor Twelman uh, when I was back working for uh, for ESPN. We would spend so much time uh, researching and talking to all of these players, and 99.9% of them would never, ever do anything. And it was just a lot of work and a lot of research that then just got, uh, that then just got thrown away. We all know that the MLS draft is becoming less and less important and relevant, and that is, if you need any indication, you can look at what Philadelphia did by trading away all of their picks in one fell swoop and just getting money in return. I think that you are doing uh, – look, I think the combine is going to go away because that's money that doesn't need to be spent. You know who the players are, and you don't need a three-day camp in Florida. That's just a boondoggle. And you just – you don't need that to understand who these players are. But the actual draft, I don't think that that's going away. Uh, I talked to uh, Commissioner Garber a little bit uh, in Austin about this this situation. And, you know, he's being asked the same question. And I don't think there's a – there's an answer yet, but I do think that you are doing yourself and your team a disservice. If it, if it is your job to get the best quality players and to amass a roster in Major League Soccer, there will be players and there will be talent. Maybe not as much in the past, but you need every possible avenue at your disposal in order to do your job right. And there might be some that say, nah, I just don't even want to deal with it. Now, do they really think that it's so in, uh, inconsequential or they just not want to do the work? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a combination of both things and, and certainly the way that the league is going with academy players that are bypassing the draft and, and all of that, it's going to become less and less, I don't want to say important, but it's going to become less and less relevant, I think, on a yearly basis. But that in no way means that if you do the work, you can't find some good players because not everybody can be in your academy. Not everybody can be homegrown. With the size of uh, the country that we have, both countries in Canada and the United States, there's just impossible to, to have them all. And so when you find those jewels, and yes, it takes work. It takes time. But I, th- I, I just happen to feel that the job of those folks in those positions is to leave no stone unturned. And why wouldn't you add just another bullet in the belt to possibly get a good player for your team rather than just say, ah, oh, it's just dumb. I'm not going to take the time to figure it out. So I don't think it's going anywhere, but I certainly think it's going to become less and less, um, it's going to draw less and less attention. All right, last question. At Mikey Damage. Just how aware is a typical management board of the pressure and thoughts from fans? Did you feel it in L.A.? Mm-hmm. And he put uh, in present question inspired by Arsenal. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, first off, if it's Arsenal relative to what's happened over the last 10 years, you've got to be sitting pretty and feeling pretty good about yourself. So at least from that perspective, you could look like you're heading in the, in the right direction. So when I was with front offices, yeah, you absolutely listen to what amounts to your customers and you are there to give them a product and you need to listen when that product is not being received in a positive light. Having said that, if and when those voices become a problem for you in terms of selling that product, that's when things get done. So just listening to people scream and yell and you're not doing this and we don't like this player and why didn't we win, that's that's fine. But you, if, you want, if you want change to happen, you hit people where it hurts. And by the way, not just in sports, in life. You start taking money out of people's pockets, and you know what gets done, uh, and changes happen. So you stop buying tickets. You stop having the TV contracts. You stop having international tours that are generating as much because the product on the field isn't, uh, isn't of quality, then you, you're damn right you're going to do the things to make sure it gets, uh, it gets better. But just somebody, I mean, look, I had people to my face, uh, behind my back, on email, texts, back then we didn't have Twitter uh, or anything like that, telling me how to do my job. And let's be honest, given my track record, I probably needed some help uh, from different people out there. And it's not that you just take it with a grain of salt. You, you listen to it because I, I want to know. If I'm selling soccer or anything else, I want to know what my customer is feeling about the product. And some, you can get some really good ideas. Some of them, you know, just people need to vent. 
So that's a long way of saying Mickey damage that you are definitely aware, but until something happens that it's going to affect the bottom line, it's oftentimes very difficult to get a front office to really do something and make a significant change. Are you uh, familiar with the sports talk radio program, Mike and the Mad Dog? Which I have heard in, tell of it. Yeah, in the uh, late 90s, the New York Mets had a chance to trade for Mike Piazza, who was I've the heard catcher of him too. for the LA Dodgers. He was a former uh, uh, Italian uh, owner, right? Yeah, and they initially were not going to do it, and Mike and the Mad Dog screamed about it for days on their show. They got Mets fans all riled up, and the Mets ended up making the trade, and like Mike and the Mad Dog are credited with that. Like When anybody writes an article about their influence over New York Wait sports, that's always cited Hold as like on. the example. You're no, telling I, I, me that the radio show jocks are the ones that orchestrated all this, and had it not been for that pressure from the radio. Look, I'm, I'm not discounting the importance of influencers and messengers and all that kind of stuff, and the pressure that can come to bear from the media. And, that, and that's certainly, to, to get Mikey, uh, don't, don't get me wrong, management boards certainly feel that, but you think that that had a lot to do with Francesa that. Francesa right? would never say that because he's a very humble guy, but uh, <laughs> people do seem to think they had an influence on him. All right, no. all right. Well, you know, stranger things. Did it happen, though? Yeah, yeah, they acquired him. He went on to have great years with the Mets. It was a, he, I heard he's a great a great player. Oh, absolutely. He's yeah. a huge rock fan, too. Uh, that's what I know about him. <laughs> I know nothing about his uh, baseball uh, career. Okay, anything else, or that's, that's it for Ask Alexi? Uh, that is it. That is it. All right. Thank you for sending those in. We will have more of those uh, each and every week. Use that Ask Alexi hashtag, and who knows? David Mossy might read your question on a future episode of the State of the Union. Moving on. The Back Three. All right. It's time for the Back Three. Some big stories or games or moments. Uh, Mossy, what do we got here? Some big MLS news. Oh, okay. Uh, your MLS champions, Atlanta United, have locked down Joseph Martinez to a long-term contract. Joseph Martinez coming off a season where he set an MLS single season record for goals. What do you make of this? Well, I, I'm, I'm really interested to find out how much it is because we also know that uh, Zlatan, who came for a bargain rate last year and lit it up uh, and then said, all right, you only get that as a one-year deal and I want, uh, I, want, I want to get paid now, signed a huge contract, uh, possibly the biggest in history. So Joseph Martinez, who is much younger, uh, much more uh, dynamic, uh, and I think... Um, and obviously scored more goals, he's got to be the highest played player in the league. So they did a five-year extension. This is good news for Atlanta. This is good news, obviously, for Joseph Martinez, but this is good news uh, for Major League Soccer because he's a wonderful player to watch. The interesting thing with, oh, actually both with Atlanta and with uh, the Los Angeles Galaxy, is now signing these these players uh, because we always were waiting for that that second thing to happen. Uh, both of these teams now have four designated players. You're only allowed in Major League Soccer to have three right now. And because the Miguel Almiron deal has not gone through, Atlanta's going to have to figure something out. Either the rules are going to get changed, they're going to buy somebody down or send somebody on loan, um, but they got to fa- find a way to get to three unless it goes to four. I don't see it going to four. That's not going to happen, but three. And in the same way that the Los Angeles Galaxy have to figure out uh, what they what they do. And that... That to me is a little frustrating. I, I get it. Believe me, I've been around for years. I understand. But the fact that, and, and it's fundamental what the league is. In each year, you have to make changes and you have to accommodate. And if you don't plan wise fiscally, then you'll get dinged that next year. And so they're going to have to figure out a, uh, a way to, I mean, it would be great to see Atlanta with all four of those designated players. It would be great to see Los Angeles with all four players as designated players. So... They're going to have to do something. And the problem is, is everybody else knows that they have to do something. And so they're going to have to eat. They might buy out a contract or something like that. But this Joseph Martinez news, that's huge. Because keep in mind now, this Atlanta team right now, new coach, Tata Martino, off to, uh, off to Mexico. DeBoer comes in. And really, for DeBoer, it can only go down. Uh, well, not necessarily because, as we said before, he could win CONCACAF Champions League. I think that's the, the holy grail right now for MLS clubs. So if he were to do that, I think he would set himself apart from Tata. And certainly he's going to need somebody like Joseph Martinez to be able to do that. Next up, U.S. women's national team. We obviously have a World Cup coming up uh, this summer in France, which yep. you can catch on Fox. And in lieu of that, they've decided for the first time ever to hold their January camp in Europe ahead of uh, friendlies against France and Spain. What are your thoughts on that? And overall thoughts on the U.S. women's national team as we enter now a right. World Cup year? I think that Jill Ellis, uh, keep in mind, a second cycle coach, uh, which we know in general 
uh, in international soccer does not always work. But I, uh, this is before the World Cup, I'm saying this, I think she has done a phenomenal job in getting this team prepared to defend their World Cup title. And whether it's you know the, the decision to go play games uh, in Europe leading up to a European World Cup uh, and playing games against some very good teams and prep that way, whether it's the almost the one step back in order to go two steps forward, recycling or changing of the guard and bringing in a lot of players. And she got a lot of crap for it early on, but it's really, I think, now established where this is the strongest team, both in that starting 11 and I think in the depth that they have that the U.S. has ever had going to a World Cup. But you know that whether it's whether it's a Germany, whether it's a France, whether it's even you know the, the Englands out there, the Netherlands, people, it, it, no one is going to give this to the U.S. and Strange things happen in a World Cup. I think it's the U.S.'s to lose. I will be disappointed. It, for, for, for us, with this type of team that they have, you should expect your U.S. women's national team to win the World Cup this summer in France right now. And this preparation right now over in Europe against some good teams, I think, will, will serve them very, very well for a team that already is pretty much a juggernaut. And, and you know, knock on wood, there's no injuries right now. you got... Players like Alex Morgan playing the best of her life. You got a, a Julie Ertz, who was Julie Johnson four years ago, who just was a standout center back, and now she's running around the midfield. I think it's going to be really, really important. You got the, you know, the, just a the great center back in Becky Sauberon. You got Tobin Heath, who's healthy and is worth the price of admission in terms of taking players on. Megan Rapino, who's also healthy. That trio up top of Rapino, Morgan, and Heath, I think is going to be wonderful, uh, wonderful to see. Lindsay Horan. These are very, very good players. And then you got a lot of depth off the bench. So this is going to be fun to see this team this summer. I can't wait to get to, uh, get to France and kick this off. Uh, as you mentioned, there are games coming up. You can see some of those on Fox, right? Yeah, a huge game against France, your World Cup host. A lot of people think like the co-favorites. Yep. Uh, that's a potential Absolutely. World Cup final preview. Uh, Absolutely. So, yeah, that, that's and, and keep in mind, before the last World Cup, the U.S. played France and struggled and had a problem and it actually was a wake-up call so it's not the worst thing in the world if they struggle and they have a bad time against teams you want if you're going to do that have it have it happen before because sometimes you can just get on a cruise control and think that's everybody's everything's right and there's not a problem and then the soccer gods say no and usually they do it at the worst possible moment which is often at the world cup what else uh we'll end on this uh big injury news in england uh tottenham had an unbelievable defeat to Manchester United this past weekend, which we can talk about as well. But in virtually the last play of the game, Harry Kane injured his ankle, and it now looks like he'll be out until March. He could miss both legs of the Champions League round of 16 against Dortmund, uh, Premier League games against Chelsea and Arsenal, and obviously he's out for the League Cup semifinal second leg, which is great news for Alex Dowd's <laughs> Chelsea. He's pumping his fist there. Uh, so massive loss for wow. Tottenham. What are your overall thoughts? Well, here? I mean, look, this... this this, this Spurs experiment this year, I think, is going to get a lot of attention. And I, I think when the year's over, I think there are going to be as many people that say this was a good thing as it was a bad thing. Not a good thing to have Harry Kane hurt, but just the whole decision not to buy players, the whole decision to stand pat, which is in and of itself a, a novel or at least non-traditional way to, to go about things. That was, <laughs> that was a hell of a loss the other day. And that's one where you go back as a coach and as a player and you say, we lost, but did we play badly? And and then you look around because they had plenty of opportunities. And and by the way, not for nothing. Look, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is is doing a great job. That new bounce is all fine. I and saw well. your tweet. I was going to go there next, but Come you're on. going there with me. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> you you set it up then. You set it up because I, I I no. So I, so th this narrative is that that this is a different United team. That they're playing better. That the, the mood is better. That they're back to being Manchester United. And so you sort of uh, push back against that after this. Spurs game, and you wondered. Well, is I, it only just pushed, a, I only pushed back on it because we were waiting for them to play somebody big, right? right. You know, when when Ole had come in, they had a nice, easy streak there, and and he did. It, it doesn't mean you're going to get the points, but he did it, and he did a, a a good job. And then they actually play somebody of their caliber, and they play them away, and they come up with a result. So from a re result standpoint, that's wonderful. But if you're going to say that this team is fundamentally changed, then you got to show me consistently how they are playing differently. And I know people out there saying, yes, this, this, and they, there's plenty of reasons and valid reasons right now. But ultimately, this game was won by one person, David De Gea, <laughs> okay? 
and echo, echo, echo. We've heard this now for years and years and years. The guy has kept Manchester. By the way, even even at the worst point, David Gea was keeping them in, getting them points, getting. The, think of how horrible, as horrible as they were. Think of how horrible they would have been if David Gea hadn't been in goal. And so then he stands on his head. All right, because they had plenty of opportunities to score goals and, and should have store, scored goals. And I know people are saying, yeah, but your goalkeeper is, is important. And, I, and that's what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said after. He said, yes, yeah, it's, it's okay to have a good goalkeeper. Yes, you have a good goalkeeper. But it's the same thing. If David De Gea is the one that's saving you points, then it's the same thing for me. I would argue, the first, I understand what you're saying. I would argue, though, the first 60 minutes or so of that game did kind of support this narrative because I felt like United gave as good as they got. They created a lot of good chances, too. That was a wide-open game. It was only the in last— In a way that they haven't in the past? Yeah. Okay. The, in, in contrast to most of the time with Mourinho away against a big team, it would have been parked the bus from the first minute and trying to kind of take the sting out of the game. So I did notice a difference there. You're right, though. The last 30 minutes or so, it devolved into just holding on for dear life and David Ahead standing on his head. So that could have happened with me as the manager. But I saw enough in those 60 minutes and the games before that that I think there's something to it. it to be honest, from a neutral who just likes to watch good football, the, the two best things that have come out of this whole Mourinho leaving and Solskjaer taking over it's it's the the guys that combined for the goal we're getting to see Pogba happy again yep. playing well uh, that pass to Rashford was unbelievable on the goal that's and he's, nice. he's doing yep. incredible things when he's playing like this he's the best midfielder in the world and then Rashford Rashford's goal should have been saved I've loved I've loved though since he broke through uh, I think he's an unbelievable talent, and had he had a different manager the last two and a half years, I think we'd be talking about one of the best strikers in the world right now. I think he really stagnated under Mourinho, and I'm glad we're getting to see him at his best again and showcasing all that talent. I think he's incredible. So just for Pogwin, everybody else you can argue there's no difference. Not, I think look, those all two— All I'm saying is in, in this day and age where everyone screamed and yelled about the Manchester way, we got to get back to the Manchester way. Ultimately, the Manchester <laughs> way is winning, and nobody gives a crap how they actually play as long as they win. And if they win, everybody says they're back. This is the way it was. This is the, this is this is how we play. So, I don't know. Let, let I don't me know. let me just, one word on Kane. I never bought into Tottenham as title contenders this season. No disrespect, but Arlo White. Every Tottenham game, he keeps telling how many points away they are from Liverpool and how this result affects their title aspirations. I'm sorry, the title race is between Liverpool and City, and that would have been the case even if Kane didn't get hurt. I did think, though, Tottenham was nestled in that in-between where they're not going to win the title, but they're comfortably in top four, no concerns there. Now, with this Kane injury, that could be an issue too. They could drop back, especially the way United are playing, although the one good news for Tottenham, if we want to sort of get into this top four race here, is Unai Emery has completely lost the plot to me. After a very good stretch there where he was getting all these (laughs) plaudits, now Arsenal have hit the skids, and to me, the bottom line is you can't put a lineup out there without any creative players and be surprised when you don't create anything. Uh, one of Ozil, Mkhitaryan, or Ramsey also, always has to start on that team. And he didn't have Ozil or Mkhitaryan available against West Ham, so Ramsey should have started. And to not start him, I mean, it, it, was, it was tough to watch, frankly, how little creativity there was on that field. So, But this he, isn't he, back to the dark days of Wenger, right? <laughs> I mean, we're... Well, we'll see. It's, it's starting to head back down okay. the wrong direction. Right. Well, but, so know, so we'll, we'll see. see. It's suddenly the, the, the top... I mean, you hate, it to, hate for it to be for this reason, but I think the top four race in England has even more spice now because of but this But do you Harry think Kane the powers that be at Spurs had aspirations of winning the league? No, Absolutely not. Far. But people were... were in, in this particular moment with right. the strategy that they took. No, no, absolutely not. I'm just saying it. The media and people like Arlo White, even the best kept, teams in the world, they still go out and get added talent and bolster their uh, bol- bolster their supplies, if you will. And they they stood pat. They didn't do anything, and everybody kind of looked and said, eh, "What's going on?" But if they if they're able to do that, and then still finish top four. Fine. As long as Chelsea get in there because you want Christian Pulisic to play Champions League football next. Very. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anything else? That is it. That is it. All right, so we uh, we come to the end of yet another show. And at the end of each show, I do my, uh, my last thing. Is that what we're calling it? One big thing, last thing? Boy, you're been, back with a bang today. Well, we've been doing Holy this for cow. a year. I am a mess. Uh, oh, my God. I am a mess. And I'm a mess because of this last part of my trip. We talked about it at the begin- at the top of the show, and this will be a good way to end the show. Uh, the last part of my trip was spent, as I said, in Austin. And it was late nights, a, w- a wonderful, wonderful atmosphere, fun. Everybody's celebrating the, the arrival of this team. Keep in mind that this team... Uh, always is going to be in the context of what happened with Columbus. And the, the good part is, is that both places have teams. How they got there can be debated uh, and can be criticized, and I think it's valid um, to, uh, to do that. 
And from an Austin perspective, and I, I, I told them this, I said, look, you know, you're going to be villains. And you might want to embrace it if you're Austin, especially in the way that supporters groups are going to look at it. And that, that's, you know, that's, that's okay. Everybody, every league and every story uh, needs a villain. So we had the celebration, and it was wonderful. Everybody said the right things, and it was fun, and it was people that are working on it were, were so excited about it, and it was fun to see. The good thing about Austin is that they have a two-year ramp. And if you talk to the folks over in Atlanta, uh, they will tell you that one of the reasons why they were able to get it right now, they didn't anticipate to get it, knock it so far out, but one of the reasons why they feel they have been successful is because they had multiple years to get that team up and running. You know, Some teams don't. And so I think from a Austin perspective right now, and I told them this today, I said, the party's over. You got to get to work. And that work is certainly in the front office. They got to build a stadium. Uh, they have to ingratiate them themselves, continue to do that, uh, and even more so and do it with that community and that culture so people know what this team is about going forward. It's going to be fun to see how they do it. They are going to be, as I said, viewed by villains. The daggers are going to be out for this team. I don't think they particularly care, having spent some time with them down there, because their concern is making sure that it's, well, it's, not, it's the only team, it's the first professional uh, sports team in that market, which is amazing to me that nobody's gone there before. It's a wonderful city, uh, incredible environment, and exploding, and all the, all the things that we, uh, that we talk about there. I do think it's going to be successful, but it's not just going to be successful just by rolling out a ball. You got to you got to get in there and you got to make sure you have a good product on the field because that market will be discerning and they will want a winner. You have to in this day and age what's interesting too is that when you have a stadium come online, which is why I'm so excited about what's going on up in Minnesota because I think that stadium is going to be automatically one of the top 2 stadiums in the league. But the inevitable compare and contrast that happens with all the other stadiums and you better live up. You can't you can't do it on the cheap. And you can't have people come to your stadium and say, yeah, but LAFC did this. And yeah, but Minnesota did this. you got to have something that's comparable to what's being done in other, uh, in other markets. So they got a lot of work uh, to do in Austin, but they also have an incredible culture and city down there uh, to do it in. I wish them luck. Uh, I can't wait for them to uh, get into the league so we can have those rivalries. And certainly the one with Columbus is going to be one, uh, one to watch. Sometimes we manufacture these, uh, uh, these rivalries. But ultimately, the great part about whether it's Austin or any other new team coming in the league, it's a blank slate. They get to they get to do whatever they want. This team, and when I say the team, not just the, the team on the field, but this team to this culture and to this city can be whatever they want. And it would be reflective of the unique and different personality and character that that city has. Uh, and in doing so, that's how you garner pride. Because you want to follow a team, whether you're into soccer or not, to be quite honest with you, you want to follow a team that's representative of who you are and who you are in the context, context of living in a city. And that's the challenge right now for Austin, to do that. They have two years to do it. It's going to come and go, that ramp, and they better get it right. So I hope they're working. I'm sure they're working. Thank you so much, Austin, for uh, having me out there. I met so many good people, and I look forward to getting back there and seeing the progress of the stadium, seeing the progress of the training facility, seeing the progress of the brand in that market. And then uh, obviously look forward to uh, when the first kick of the ball happens. All right. Anything else, Mossy, before we head out? That is it. That is it. All right. Uh, once again, apologies for this being late this week. Uh, you just have to bear with me. I was running around and we thought, well, should we do it on the road? And then we could have some audio problems in here and there. And so we just said, let's just put it off a couple of days. So if this has messed up your routine, your uh, workout routine, your bicycle routine, your walk routine, your uh, carpool routine or anything like that, uh, you know, I'm sorry, whatever. <laughs> I apologize. We'll, we'll try to limit the uh, amount of times that we're doing that. We'll be back on Monday uh, taping next week, and it'll be out on Tuesday for another edition of the State of the Union podcast. And thank you so much for tuning in each and every week, regardless if it comes out on Tuesday or, or in this case, when it comes out uh, on Wednesday. Right? It's coming out on Wednesday? Yeah, it's coming out on Wednesday. All right. Size the day. <laughs>